Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining DocuSign's third quarter fiscal year 23 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. As a reminder, this call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the investor relations section of the website following the call. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. I will now pass the call over to Heather Harwood, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, and welcome to the DocuSign Q3 2023 earnings call. I'm Heather Harwood, DocuSign's Head of Investor Relations. Joining me on the call today are DocuSign's CEO, Alan Tegason, and our CFO, Cynthia Gaylor. The press release announcing our third quarter results was issued earlier today and is posted on our Investor Relations website. Now let me remind everyone that some of our statements on today's call are forward-looking. We believe our assumptions and expectations related to these forward-looking statements are reasonable, but they are subject to known and unknown risks and uncertainties that may cause our actual results or performance to be materially different. In particular, our expectations regarding the pace of digital transformation and factors affecting customer demand are based on our best estimates at this time and are therefore subject to change. Please read and consider the risk factors in our filings with the SEC together with the content of this call. Any forward-looking statements are based on our assumptions and expectations to date and accept as required by law, we assume no obligation to update these statements in light of future events or new information. During this call, we will present GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. In addition, we provide non-GAAP weighted average share counts and information regarding free cash flows and billings. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be considered in isolation from, a substitute for, or superior to our GAAP results. We encourage you to consider all measures when analyzing our performance. For information regarding our non-GAAP financial information, the most directly comparable GAAP measures and a quantitative reconciliation of those figures please refer to today's earnings press release, which can be found on our website at investor.docusign.com. I'd now like to turn the call over to Alan. Alan? Thanks, Heather, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm happy to be here for my first earnings call as DocuSign's CEO. I'd like to begin by thanking Maggie Wilderotter for leading the team as interim CEO. Maggie set the stage for a smooth and seamless transition and we're grateful to her for her leadership and for her continued stewardship as our board chair. There are three main points I'd like you to take away from today's call. First, we delivered solid third quarter results, exceeding the key operating metrics we laid out last quarter, despite the continued macro headwinds. Our results are a reflection, I think, of the continued signs of stabilization across the business. I'd like to commend our team for their unwavering commitment despite the considerable distraction. Second, as the global leader in the e-signature category, DocuSign is expanding across broader agreement-related workflows. We have challenges to address, but we have an exceptionally strong foundation and meaningful competitive advantage. Which leads me to my third point. I believe our future is bright. Along with the team, I'm personally energized by the opportunity and the work that lies ahead. I'm confident in our progress, and I believe we are unequivocally well-positioned for the long term. Now, before I move on 
uh, to discuss the future of our business, I want to share what compelled me to join DocuSign. I followed the company for many years, and like our over 1 billion users, I find our value proposition distinctive and invaluable. We built a powerful brand that's recognized by decision makers well before we even engage with them. That combination of affinity that DocuSign has with customers and users and our up untapped market potential is very rare in the enterprise software space. Now, DocuSign created and built the e-signature category, yet agreement processes are still at the early stages of moving from pen to paper to more automated ways of working. In fact, I believe we're just at the beginning of revolutionizing how businesses initiate, negotiate, and manage agreements. And we will lead that as we did for e-signature. We provide solutions for customers of all sizes, industries, and functions. During my almost 12 years at Google, I first let the global SMB and mid-market business and then the enterprise business in the Americas, including managing our relationships with our largest global partners. I've experienced firsthand how exceptionally powerful a broad, diversified customer base can be, and I'm excited to bring that experience to DocuSign. So in my first 60 days, I've focused on gaining a deeper understanding of our business, meeting with employees across the company, as well as spending time with customers and partners. Through these conversations, I've started to identify some critical areas in which we can improve to strengthen our value proposition, in addition to scaling the business by streamlining and creating efficiencies. I continue to see customers embrace and expand with our core e-signature offering. For example, this past quarter, one of the UK's largest healthcare providers expanded their use of e-signature. They began the journey as a customer during the pandemic, and they've now migrated their entire patient onboarding process and adopted our products across their HR, legal, joint ventures, and other departments. Key criteria in the recent competitive selection process included privacy and security of their customer data and the ability to utilize the advanced workflow features we offer. Now, notwithstanding our considerable strengths, I believe it's important to acknowledge where we have not executed as well. It's clear we did not pivot quickly enough and we were slow to make changes. As we experienced tremendous growth during the pandemic, we did not scale the team properly. We lost some innovation velocity. We didn't fully address the changing market dynamics nor mature our operations and systems sufficiently. We understand those gaps and we're committed to moving forward with more transparency. I think the good news is that the future is in our own hands. So let me turn to our focus going forward. We are committed to broadening the category. That starts with a more clearly defined product roadmap that leverages our core e-signature strength and our vision of delivering easier, smarter, trusted agreements. We see opportunities beyond the replacement of paper signatures to deliver innovative new experiences and to integrate more deeply with partner applications. If you think about it, many use cases don't require editing or completion of a static, unstructured, highly formatted traditional agreement. Instead, I think data capture for agreements should happen through digital forms on the web or in an app. The agreements themselves should be dynamically generated and the metadata should be automatically captured to enable personalization for future interactions. With our new web forms offering, which is currently in early beta, 
we're enabling our customers to transition from a PDF-centric experience to guided web-native experiences. We're also continuing to innovate on the CLM front, further solidifying our vision, customer validation, and execution within the CLM space. Most recently, DocuSign was named a leader in the Gartner 2022 Magic Quadrant the CLM for the third consecutive year. We place highest of all vendors on the ability to execute access and second highest on the completeness of vision access. These products directly support each other. We're encouraged by how existing e-signature customers continue to embrace our CLM capabilities to enhance and speed their workflows. For example, this past quarter, we expanded our relationship with one of the largest ride-sharing organizations. Our team identified key areas of expansion using our signature and CLM product to support their evolving business needs. They expanded their e-signature footprint and are now more streamlined in their internal processes, thanks to our CLM offering. Over the next few quarters, we'll expand our work here and augment the roadmap to broaden the power of managing workflows throughout the agreement lifecycle. While we're not seeing dramatic shifts recently in the competitive landscape, it is important to recognize that today's market is more competitive, particularly for the basic sign use cases, which further highlights the importance of an innovative and differentiated product portfolio like DocuSign's. I want to touch on our plans to improve operations and sales productivity. While we are continuing to lead with innovation, we are staying hyper-focused on making the customer experience more seamless and integrated, particularly with our go-to-market motion. I think that starts with bolstering our self-service initiatives. I was deeply involved in enabling self-serving for every stage of the order cycle for customers at, of all sizes at Google, and I know the power of a frictionless experience. I'm confident we can achieve both improved customer experiences and greater go-to-market efficiency as we move in this direction. We already have over 1 million customers who self-serve. The inbound traffic to our website continues to grow, and we have a highly recognized and trusted brand. So we have a lot to work with. We also want to create stronger efficiencies in our direct sales and field efforts and strengthen our partner ecosystem. So I'm pleased that sales attrition is continuing to moderate, and we're seeing stabilization in the field. Moving forward, we're focused on improving funnel conversion, consolidating and streamlining our teams, strengthening our focus on customer success and retention, and implementing new incentive structures, all with the goal of driving efficiency and accountability. We're also leaning in on simplifying our pricing and packaging strategy. Recently began rolling out new product bundles, enable customers to more easily access useful and differentiated productivity features, which in turn further the customer ROI and improve retention, and bring the customer a richer experience. We know that customers who use more than three features are more likely to expand their footprint for this, and that'll be critical for more profitable growth at scale. We already have an industry-leading partner ecosystem. This represents a significant opportunity to expand customer value and distribution reach through our network of ISVs, resellers, system integrators, and developers. By reimagining how we engage that ecosystem, we expect to create a platform that'll see stronger revenue contribution from our partners and help unlock and fuel international expansion opportunities in particular. I personally visited customers and teams in four of our key European markets last week 
which reaffirmed that one of our most significant growth opportunities will come from international markets. During the trip, I had the pleasure to meet with one of the world's leading communications carriers. They've been a customer for seven years now. Our comp team identified key areas to drive growth with expanded use cases, which accelerated adoption, which in turn led to an early renewal expansion. So we're excited to grow our footprint in their ecosystem as they continue to leverage our products to digitize their customer experience and reduce operating expenses while helping to create a more sustainable future. Lastly, internally, our operational focus has been on streamlining our processes, upgrading our internal systems, and modernizing more of our own workflows to improve efficiency and scalability. As an example, we just closed our first quarter on our new ERP system, which has been a key dependency for automating more of our operations. In summary, I believe we're acting with urgency to recalibrate the business and leverage our strong foundation to adapt to the evolving business landscape and the changing and challenging macro environment. These efforts will take time and they represent a continued evolution for DocuSign. However, I am fully confident that the opportunity is here for DocuSign and is within our reach with a clear strategy, focus, and execution. Thank you for your time today. I'm thrilled to be leading DocuSign and I'm committed to being transparent with all of you about our progress as we move forward. Now I'll hand it over to Cynthia, who will take you through our Q3 financial results and outlook. Cynthia. Excellent. Thanks, Alan, and good afternoon, everyone. We delivered solid Q3 results delivering on the top and bottom line. We continue to expand our customer base and remain focused on progress against our key priorities as we execute against our long-term strategy. As the macro becomes more challenging, we are seeing softening demand trends materialize, including smaller deal sizes and expansions, with increased customer scrutiny on priorities and budgets in some cases. On the other hand, we are still seeing healthy results as customers recognize DocuSign offers high ROI applications that are easy to use, efficient, and cost-effective. Let me now review our Q3 results. Total revenue increased 18% year-over-year to $645 million, and subscription revenue grew 18% year-over-year to $624 million. The continued strengthening of the U.S. dollar resulted in a couple-point headwind to total revenue growth in the quarter in line with our previous expectations. The impact was not material to our results. Our international revenue grew 23% year-over-year to reach $157 million in the third quarter representing 24% of our total revenue. Third quarter billings grew 17% year-over-year to $659 million as our install base continued to expand. The strength in billings growth was partially driven by early renewals, particularly renewals from Q4. As a reminder, quarter-to-quarter -quarter billings can fluctuate due to the timing and complexion of deals, including timing of renewals and expansions. Customer growth remains strong as we added approximately 42,000 new customers during the quarter, bringing our total install base to 1.32 million customers worldwide at the end of Q3, a 19% increase compared to a year ago. This includes the addition of approximately 10,000 direct customers to reach a total direct customer base of 202,000, a 26% increase over uh, last year. We also saw a 34% year-over-year increase in customers with an annualized contract value greater than $300,000, reaching a total of 1,052 customers. 
These results demonstrate progress against our key initiatives. However, we continue to see the effects of a more challenging macro environment. Real estate and financial service verticals continue to see headwind. So even within these sectors, we see pockets of expansion with customers for specific use cases. Expansion use cases underscore our product differentiation and value for our customers as we continue to invest in innovation around broader agreement workflows. As it relates to verticals, we are also encouraged by relative strength in our manufacturing, retail, business services, and technology sectors, highlighting the important benefit of our diversified customer base. And while the global slowdown presented challenges more generally, we saw varying degrees of strength and weakness across all regions and segments. Dollar net retention was 108% for the quarter. We continue to see more muted buying patterns and slower expansion rates from customers in the current climate. We expect buying patterns to remain cautious in the near term, resulting in dollar net retention continuing to trend downward for the remainder of the year. Total non-GAAP gross margin for the quarter was 83% compared to 82% last year. Q3 non-GAAP operating profit reached $147 million compared with $122 million last year. Non-GAAP operating margin was 23% from 22% last year. Non-GAAP net income for Q3 was $118 million compared with $121 million in the third quarter of last year. As noted on our Q1 call this year, we introduced a non-GAAP tax rate within our non-GAAP net income calculation as we reach consistent non-GAAP profits for the prior three years. We're using a non-GAAP tax rate of 20% for fiscal 23. Q3 non-GAAP EPS was 57 cents. In September, we announced a restructuring plan which included a workforce reduction in response to the changing environment. This was not an easy decision, but was an important step for the health of the business. Our GAAP results include $28 million in Q3 restructuring-related expenses. As we take a long-term view of the opportunity ahead, we will evaluate the best ways to reinvest capital into areas that accelerate initiatives and present the strongest return. We are committed to making progress in a sustainable way towards our long-term target margin. We ended Q3 with 7,522 employees compared to 7,056 last year. The restructuring process is well underway and we expect to be substantially completed by the end of the fiscal year. The workforce reductions coupled with more disciplined spending and cost containment throughout the company drove strong Q3 non-GAAP operating margin. While we are pleased with the Q3 margin, we delayed some spend in the quarter and will continue to evaluate the most critical areas for investment. Operating cash flow in the third quarter was $53 million, representing an 8% margin. Free cash flow was $36 million, or a 6% margin. As we mentioned on our Q2 earnings call, during the third quarter, we implemented a new ERP, a foundational system for our company. The go-live was successful with smooth implementation and no material disruptions to our core processes. As noted on our last call, the timing of cash collections and payments were impacted by the ERP transition, as we anticipated, and some were pushed from Q3 to Q4. We also incurred one-time cash expenses in Q3 related to the restructuring. On a more normalized basis, excluding the impact from the restructuring and our ERP implementation, our operating cash flow margin would have been approximately 14%, and our free cash flow margin would have been approximately 12%. This compares with operating cash flow of $105 million 
or a 19% margin, and free cash flow of $90 million, or 17% margin, for the same period last year. We expect lower restructuring cash payments to benefit fourth quarter cash flows relative to Q3. We exited Q3 with more than $1.1 billion in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and investments. Turning to our share repurchase program, we repurchased approximately 740,000 shares during the quarter for approximately $38 million, which demonstrates our confidence in the durability of our business and in the opportunities ahead. As of the end of Q3, we had approximately $137 million in remaining buyback capacity. We remain committed to opportunistically return capital to our shareholders. With that, let me turn to our Q4 and Fiscal 23 guidance. For the fourth quarter and fiscal year 23, we anticipate total revenue of $637 to $641 million in Q4 for growth of 10% year over year and $2.493 to $2.497 billion for fiscal 23 or growth of 18 to 19% year over year. Of this, we expect subscription revenue of 624 to 628 million dollars in Q4 or growth of 11% year over year and 2.423 to 2.427 billion dollars for fiscal 23 or growth of 19% year over year. For billings, we expect 705 to 715 million dollars in Q4 or growth of 5 to 7% year over year and $2.626 to $2.636 billion for fiscal 23, or growth of 11 to 12% year over year. We expect non-GAAP gross margin to be 82% to 83% for Q4 and 81 to 82% for fiscal 23. We expect non-GAAP operating margin to reach 20 to 22% for Q4 and 18 to 20% for fiscal 23. We expect to see a de minimis amount of interest in other income. We expect non-GAAP fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding of 205 to 210 million for both Q4 and fiscal 23. Looking ahead, we are in the early stages of planning for next year and focused on executing across our critical priorities to finish the year strong. While we will not be formally providing guidance for next year, we would like to share a preliminary outlook for fiscal 24 informed by what we are seeing across the business and in the broader macro environment. We currently expect a slower start to the fiscal year. For total revenue, we would expect high single digit growth during fiscal 24. For billings, we would expect low single digit growth for next year. We're committed to maintaining our disciplined approach to expenses, carefully addressing and prioritizing strategic investments that will drive our sustainable growth at scale. As a result, we expect to operate at the lower end of our long-term target operating margin range of 20 to 25% in fiscal 24. In closing, we delivered a solid Q3 despite a challenging operating environment. To drive growth, we'll continue to invest thoughtfully and closely monitor the returns on our investments, pivot as needed, and evaluate opportunities to drive growth, efficiency, and profitability at scale. Our Q3 results are a meaningful indicator of the strength of our business and the customer value proposition we deliver that allows us to delight our customers in a meaningful way. We are thrilled to welcome Alan to DocuSign and want to take a moment to also thank our team for their exceptional work and focus during this time of transition. While we know it will take time for our progress to be fully reflected in our financial results, 
we are committed to advancing the business and executing against our long-term strategy while delivering sustainable growth at scale. We look forward to updating you on our progress. Thank you again for joining us. And with that, operator, let's please now open up the call for questions. And at this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star two if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, as we poll for questions. And our first question comes from the line of Tyler Radke with City. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks for taking the question and uh, welcome aboard, Alan. Uh, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> you made some comments just around broadening the category, uh, <clears throat> integrating with, with partner applications. Maybe talk about where, where you see the most low-hanging fruit. Um, and, um, you know, as you look at the business, I mean, clearly this is a, a business that has gone from high growth and, and into more low-growth mode as you're looking at the outlook. But but where, where do you kind of see a, the medium-term opportunity here in terms of where you can get back to if, if you accomplish all your strategic initiatives? And then I had a quick follow-up for Cynthia. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, so the first thing I would say is uh, if you think about all the steps in the agreement workflow, we did an excellent job nailing the specific use case of signing an agreement. But all of the other steps, I think, remain, there remains plenty of opportunity to uh, revamp that. And so as I alluded to in my prepared comments, we're excited about the opportunity, for example, to redefine what an agreement looks like. It doesn't have to be this highly formatted document. It's something you can enter uh, on a, on a web page. We already have clients who do this with us. Mobile carriers have people sign up to DocuSign, but it looks like a web interface and a variety of health organizations use our new uh, functionality to do this for patients. So once they've gone through it once, they can pre-fill the agreements and sign-ins for future. So I think this functionality around helping people uh, both create the agreement and in a sense negotiate and complete them uh, online is a significant opportunity. Looking on the uh, personalization side, uh, you can imagine uh, we do this today with Salesforce and a variety of other platforms. Uh, reps can send out documents um, that are personalized and tailored to the uh, customer based on data that's already in the system. Again, a way of integrating directly with third-party applications and leveraging the simplicity and power of DocuSign. Post-agreement, uh, I think the CLM space holds tremendous pro uh, promise for DocuSign. Uh, both in terms of extracting more value, more business value from agreements, as well as on the risk and compliance side. And I've had a, a number of, of meetings with uh, large enterprises that are excited about both of those use cases. So I feel like there's, there's actually quite a bit of breath there, uh, and we're just at the early stages of, of delivering against that opportunity. Great. And, and Cynthia, you talked about some early renewals in the quarter, and I guess I'm wondering, since the uh, – you know, Q4 guidance was kind of in line with with uh, the, the prior implied guide. Was was the early renewals kind of the driving most of that that upside that you saw in the quarter? Um, and if you could kind of just unpack what what you think drove those early renewals was it was it customers kind of consuming uh, ahead of of contracts that they renegotiated down post pandemic and 
Um, if that's the case, do you, do you still think there could be some more of that as, as you look out in the, in the coming quarters? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So we were um, we were super pleased with um, you know where the the billings number came out. It, it did come out better than we were expecting, um, and it was driven you know primarily by early renewals. And when you look at kind of the customer dynamic there, I would say a few things as we um, have dug into it. One is um, you know it's it's mainly we have we have a certain level of early renewals in every quarter. Um, we had uh, more early renewals coming in from Q4 into Q3 this quarter than we normally would have from a Q plus one. Um, and it's really driven by where customers are in their um, usage of the product and capacity. And what we were seeing was there were more customers at capacity who were looking to expand or um, increase their um, usage with add-on products. And so that was leading to early renewals because they were at capacity on their subscription and so those were brought in um, a quarter earlier than the renewal would have come would have come due. And so I think um, you know to commend our, our sales team, you know taking deals off the table, you know as they come due um, in the quarter is great. And you know we feel good about where we are for Q4. Um, you know we're not anticipating you know that that dynamic. Um, we will have early renewals as we always do, but that uh, that level is is kind of baked into the um, the guide now for Q4. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Josh Baer with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Great. Congrats on a really strong quarter, and uh, welcome, Alan. Um, wanted to wanted to ask you about um, a comment you made about around increasing competition for the core signature use cases. I was wondering how much of your business would you say fits in that category? And then more broadly, as you've been digging in on, on the space, I'm just wondering for your take or your view on the competitive landscape and DocuSide's uh, positioning. Thanks. Yeah, so first of all, I think at the highest level from a category perspective, we feel good that uh, fundamentally helping businesses close agreements electronically is both a cost and productivity saving and a better customer experience. And so we, we think that's uh, relatively resilient from a macro perspective. In terms of the competitive landscape, we do see some, some competition at the low end. I would see sort of generic e-signature without you know, much of the value add that I think we excel at. Uh, and so we got to become a little bit more um, uh, engaged competitively in that space uh, and without uh, you know, damaging our, our, our value and premium positioning. And so we're looking at, at ways to do that. Uh, but the vast majority of our products, uh, of, our, of our revenue, come from customers who appreciate the value that uh, DocuSign delivers. I'll just give you a couple examples. We, uh, we know from a variety of surveys that um, customers see that uh, when they send agreements with DocuSign, people tend to sign faster, they're more likely to sign, they're more satisfied, there's a more positive brand halo. All of that feeds into uh, you know, a premium positioning uh, in addition to that, we tend to do very well on, on helping with the internal workflows uh, in, our, in the companies that adopt DocuSign, which you know, creates cost savings and efficiencies. So I feel pretty bullish that, that we can uh, maintain our position, but uh, it's absolutely true that at the low end, super high volume commodity e-signature, there's more competition, and we need to be more agile in responding to that, and we're working on that as we speak. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it. 
Our next question comes from the line of Michael Turn with Wells Fargo. Please proceed with your question. Hey, great. This is Austin Williams. I'm for Michael Turn. Um, I just wanted to go back to the expansion rates. It looked like the expansion ticked down a, a touch here. Uh, is there anything you would call out as it relates to those expansions and how we should think about uh, that settling in from here? That was on the dollar net retention number. You broke up a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, on, on last quarter's call, we talked about kind of that, that trend line, and, and as I said in my prepared remarks, we would continue to expect um, the trend line to, to um, push downward in, in Q4. You know, I think what's embedded in that number, you know, it is, is mainly expansion rates are, are moderating, and so the growth and expansion is declining. You know, as a reminder, that's a um, it's a dollar net retention number, so it's based on our book of business. The book of business is quite large, so it takes larger dollars um, and larger um, rate of expansion to move the number up. Um, and just given some of the dynamics we've, we've been talking about the last few quarters around expansion rates and deal sizes um, contracting, you know, we would expect to see continued uh, pressure on that particular metric uh, for Q4. And our next question comes from the line of Brad Sills with Bank of America. Please proceed with your question. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for taking my questions, and, and welcome, Alan. Um, I, I wanted to ask a question on Agreement Cloud. You know, as the company starts to transition, you know, over, over the longer term, I understand, towards a, a more uh, workflow-oriented business. Um, you know, today we think of uh, e-signature as transactional. Uh, do you think there's a, a, a different go-to-market that's required here to really materially move the needle and, and gain some traction there? You, know, you talked about some SI efforts there, global SIs, et cetera. Um, I assume they would play a role there. But any thoughts on that? Thank you. Yes. Uh, so a couple of points there. Uh, I think as, from a customer segment perspective, we have a very nicely balanced book of business now across SMB, mid-market, and, and, uh, and enterprise. A lot of our enterprise adoption has been departmental level historic, but we're negotiating more enterprise level agreements. I think we need to continue to evolve our sophistication and readiness there. We've brought in some leaders with great experience there, but I think we're still coming up the curve in terms of, of being fully ready to being a you know, broad enterprise uh, platform supplier, if you will. Um, so that would be my the main point I'd make on, on that. In terms of the, the other parts of the business, um, yeah, I think the CLM business is already uh, very much an enterprise play. Uh, and as we've rolled that out, we've seen a lot of our larger deals um, you know, have, have a significant CLM element. So we are, uh, we're pushing hard on that. Uh, I think that is still a, a relatively early stage market opportunity. Uh, as you noted, um, uh, there's it's so it's so complicated, and there's so much customization uh, on a vertical or company-specific basis that inevitably there's a strong services element to that. While we will have a base level of services, we absolutely need third-party partners like the big SIs and others, and they're very eager. In fact, we have a lot of inbound interest uh, to partner with Gokstein, um in in creating combined solutions to address those needs. So I'm bullish on that, but. I want to maintain DocuSign's focus as a, as a SaaS software company um, with necessary 
customer success and professional services elements, and then augment that with the uh, with the ecosystem of ISVs and SIs and others uh, to present solutions to enterprises that have more complicated needs. Great to hear. Thanks, Alan. And one one for you, Cynthia, if I may, please. Just on the guidance for uh, for next year, low single digit billings growth. Uh, this quarter, you saw it looks like 19%. Um, obviously, you had some some deals uh, pulled into Q3, but you know, good results and, you know, in, in, in comparison to kind of the guide. So just what are you factoring in for next year? Is, is, is it a worsening macro? You talked about some elongating sales cycles and perhaps deal size compression. Are you just assuming that that environment sustains here in any color on just what's factored into the, that next year uh, outlook? Thank you. Yeah, sure. And so, so we're not um, technically guiding to next year. We're kind of giving you our best view of what we're seeing. And, and again, in the spirit of, of being transparent, we did want to provide some direction to what we're seeing um, as we look into as we look into Q4 and next year. Um, you know, the, the embedded assumption there, I guess, when you look at Q3, it was 17%. Um, Q4 is, I think, 6%. And so, um, you know, we, we're certainly seeing kind of a more challenging macro environment and some softening trends um, materialize, right? And I talked about kind of smaller deal sizes, smaller expansions and expansions at a slower rate. So I think, you know, those those things in particular between the macro and then what we're just seeing with um, customer behavior on the softening trends of expansions, customers are still expanding, but they're just expanding at a lower rate and that puts pressure on the, on the growth rate. Um, you know, I'd also say in the macro, there's just more scrutiny, you know, by customers um, on, on spend and budgets. Um, so we're not we're not modeling uh, material degradation there um, or material improvement. So we're kind of assuming just kind of a, a softening macro environment that we're uh, currently seeing. Thanks, Cynthia. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Yes, thank you very much, and I'll add my congrats, um, Alan. I'm interested in how commonly do you sense that. Uh, some of your customers might have over-provisioned themselves with DocuSign capacity during the pandemic, and uh, maybe now they're, they've been drawing down some of that, um, you know, e-signature inventory uh, in a manner that maybe it could position them to run out of the excess capacity. It sounded like you actually might have seen a bit of that um, here in Q3 and where they might be able to re-engage on new purchases uh, maybe it's in the back half of next year or somewhere out beyond that. I do think that we're we're on the tail end of that uh, part of the cycle as as we've uh, you know are la significantly lapping uh, COVID uh, as a you know, broad phenomenon and, and the stance that companies took in that at that time. Um, at the same time, of course, some of our customers saw very inflated volumes. Uh, during COVID um, uh, and, and during a, a very low interest rate environment. Uh, you're familiar with the government loan scenario. I think the mortgage and real estate volumes are just simply lower now, uh, even if they have completely uh, exhausted their pre-bought uh, envelope allotments. So I, I, I think, you know, I'd like to be cautiously optimistic along the lines that you that you note, um, but I think there's that, that counteracting factor of, uh, some of the things that were the most volatile, where there were the most pre-buying, are probably also people who are now in a different demand environment. That makes sense. Okay. 
Yeah, un- understood. And, and just as a quick follow-up, uh, how are you viewing the partnership between DocuSign and Microsoft uh, how that might uh, evolve over time? Because I think there's a viewpoint out there that Microsoft is conspicuously absent uh, from this market in some ways and that uh, perhaps they could end up offering e-signature as part of Office 365. And I'm just wondering if you see any um, opportunity uh, to be involved there or, or perhaps if you see some other um, angles to that relationship. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to that. Uh, first, I'd just say, look, we're really excited about uh, our evolving partnership with Microsoft, uh, you know, because, you know, we, we entered into a, a large strategic partnership deal with them earlier this year. Um, they are uh, – and we've delivered a number of really, I think, exciting uh, new integrations with Microsoft, uh, with Teams, with SharePoint, our builder and others. So I'm, I'm – uh, and we have – I think we're still just scratching the surface of what we're capable of in terms of integration with a variety of Microsoft platforms. Um, so I, I – uh, look, I expect that uh, Microsoft and Google will have, you know, some basic e-signature capability embedded in their office suite. but. I don't really think that, that that's, that's the core value that we provide. We, we provide a lot of richness and workflow around uh, signature that goes well beyond what I think the, the core office suites will supply. And I'm, I, don't, I don't feel that that is um, uh, the biggest competitive uh, risk that we face. Um, I think we're, we're very pleased with the progress of the partnership with Microsoft um, and with the other software suppliers. And I think most of them view us as a you know, the best of breed partner for them, and um, we want to capitalize on that. And, of course, they're a huge partner for us with our migration to Azure, so that's a whole whole separate topic. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jake Wilbers with William Blair. Please proceed with your question. Hey, thanks for taking my questions, and congrats on the great quarter. Uh, so, given signature usage from existing customers and the incremental new logo next year may be impacted as a result of the macro, how do you expect your expansion motions? So, thinking about CLM, notary, or premium pricing, ensure capabilities like ID verification to perform next year. Well, I, I think on the one hand, I think you will see us expand the number of. Um, products that we have that we can offer across the entire agreement workflow, as I outlined earlier. And at the same time, I think if we make it too complicated and itemized to buy too much, uh, we make it harder to buy and we don't necessarily include some of the features that truly differentiate us from low-end competitors. And so uh, one of the big pushes this quarter um, that I initiated was uh, you know, a better bundling mechanism to bring together some of these features so that we make sh- and as well as a as an initial onboarding for new clients to make sure they get off to the right start and that they are using not just the core signature capability but some of the other features you allude to. Uh, and, it, you know, the early signs of that uh, are promising. So we are, um, uh, at the same time, I think, packaging more of the, the features that directly relate to e-signature and making sure that we're fully selling that bundle of features and expanding our, our our footprint to other aspects of agreement workflow that we would charge for separately. Great, thanks. And then, Cynthia, if you could just add any commentary on the linearity of demand trends month to month throughout the quarter and into November, did anything change over the last month leading into Q4 as it relates to demand or usage of your products? 
Yeah, I would say there's there hasn't been material changes from um, exiting Q3 into Q4, you know, and that and that kind of informs some of our macro comments. I would say, and just maybe reiterate what we said on last quarter's call, we have been seeing a little bit of shift in linearity in the in the quarter itself between the months. And so I would say that continued in Q, uh, in Q3 in month three. We saw softer linearity leaving the quarter than entering the quarter um, than we had historically, uh, that, than we have historically seen in, in the kind of those quarter linearity trends, intra-quarter. That's helpful commentary. Thanks again for taking my questions and congrats on the great results. Our next question comes from the line of Rishi Deluria with RBC. Please proceed with your question. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thanks so much for taking my questions, Alan. Uh, welcome aboard and, and very much looking forward to working with you. Um, two questions, if I, if I may, just on the kind of preliminary outlook or, or, or framework or, or whatever you want to call it for next year. Really appreciate the color, helpful way of thinking about things. Um, I, I guess for starters, if, if we think about low single-digits billings growth, uh, for next year, I'm sure there's some sort of uh, uh, cadence there in terms of maybe lower in the first half, higher in the second half, just given the, the macro picture. But if we think about that, I mean, that, that kind of implies that, you know, calendar year 24, FY25, will be mid-single-digits growth. Uh, and I know it's way too early to start, you know, talking guidance for that. But maybe more importantly, what would need to done, be done to bridge that gap from that, that baseline that you're talking about based on the billings guidance? to a growth rate that, you know, you'd be happy with? Because I can't imagine you'd be happy with, given the market opportunity and everything, with mid to high single digits growth. So maybe can you walk through what, from an execution and, and market opportunity standpoint, needs to happen to get that growth rate, you know, to where you'd want it to be? And then I've got a follow-up. Yeah, I, I think, I, first of all, we set aside macro, which obviously weighed heavily on us as we as we looked out to 2024, and you, you, you don't want to presume that the economy is necessarily going to get better, so that is embedded in our forecast. But looking beyond that, um, I think the key are, the key levers for us are uh, we've got to get our digital motion to, uh, to work much better, and that's a huge focus and investment area for us now. We think we can capture something more business that way. Um, but, you know, until we can really prove that to ourselves, we're certainly not going to put it in our guidance. And similarly, I think we have a, a series of, of product initiatives that will roll out over the next two, three quarters that I think will dramatically broaden our footprint. But, again, until we, we, we have a little bit more solidity there, it would be imprudent to include that in even a preliminary uh, outlook. Um, so I, I think we, we have a – um, you know, our international opportunity is another one where we will be doing some significant investing in, in 2024, and that market is at a much earlier stage of evolution, and we have significant headroom there. So I think there's a number of areas where um, where we uh, we hope to see um, significant upside. Obviously, I, I didn't join to to run a, a uh, low or mid-single-digit revenue company, so I'm, I'm pushing very hard to uh, get us a different place, and we're, uh, we hope to have a lot of news to report on that over the next few quarters. Yeah, and I might just, oh, fantastic. I might just add sorry, to that. So, yeah, sorry, I might just add to that. Um, you know, the 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 uh, our fiscal 24 is calendar 23, right? So that's it's an outlook. It's not a guide. 90 days from now, we'll give a, a more specific guide. Um, uh, you know, so we'll be able to give you more detail there. Understand what though what you're talking about in terms of calendar 23 into calendar 24. 
you know, as we said, we would expect the first half of next year to be kind of uh, get off to a slower start, and that's partly macro, and it's partly the initiatives that Alan was talking about, you know, need, are going to take some time to gain traction. And so the scenario where, you know, uh, I guess calendar 24 could be better would mean that, uh, you know, macro has probably gotten better, and then some of the initiatives are starting to take off, and you start seeing that in the back half of next year, because that can spill into the following year. I would just say, though, you know, our, when, when we give guidance and we give outlook, and you all have been following the company for, you know, quite some time, there are opportunities and there are risks. And, you know, um, you know we have, I think, uh, balanced those things in, in kind of what we're telling you in the spirit of the 24 is really to um, provide, you know, transparency to what we're currently seeing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still balancing those opportunities and risks. So I just want to make sure that, that you all understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think what I would just add to that, since it's exactly right, what we're giving you now is an extrapolation of our current trends. We uh, we have a lot of levers that we're pulling, and um, we hope to be able to update you on those over the course of the next several urban calls. We're bullish on the on long-term prospects. We think we have a lot of headroom and are very well positioned. All right, fantastic. Re really, really helpful, both of you. Thank you. Uh, and then just kind of a quick follow-up. If you think about the, the margin, not guidance, uh, for next year, you're talking about, you know, the low end, so about 20%. Um, I, I guess, you know, given that you also have all these cost savings that you've been working at generating over the past, uh, you know, quarter, two quarters, uh, a 9% RIF, I imagine that a lot of the upside that you're getting from those cost savings, you're reinvesting in the area. So maybe can you walk us through, you know, why, why would margins not be higher? And if it is, in fact, you're, you're just reinvesting in other areas, what are kind of those top investment priorities that's, that's getting that margin to 20%, again, in spite of the, the, the cost-cutting focus and, and the 9% risk? Thank you. Sure. I'll, I'll talk about the margin, and then Alan can talk about some of the, um, the investments. Um, so on, on the margin, our long-term target margin has been um, 20 to 25%. So we're expecting to be at the lower end of that um, into next year um, would be uh, what we'd expect. So we would get some uplift from the restructuring that uh, we've done and are in the process of completing. Um, but we, as you said, we would be reinvesting in the business. And, you know, it's, a lot of it is around things like international, the go-to-market initiatives, and um, R&D in particular. Um, and, you know, th those pieces I think are going to be really important. Yeah, just to add to what Cynthia was saying, look, I, I think our go-to-market motion needs to become more efficient. We need to grow into, you know, we made some adjustments. We need to grow into the infrastructure that we have and, and, and do a lot more on the digital side, as I've alluded to. Um, so that's an area where I, I would hope to see our, our, our metrics continue to improve. Um, I'd say uh, um, uh, I feel differently about our, our R&D investment. Um, you know, we, we are frankly below many of our SAS peers in terms of our investment relative revenue. And, and I think um, we have a, a, a lot of ideas, a lot of opportunity here. And I think we, to the extent that we um, invest sort of beyond baseline, uh, that'll probably be where the bulk of it goes. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. And our next question comes from the line of Kirk Materian with Evercore ISI. Please proceed with your question. Oh, yeah, thanks very much. You know, Alan, maybe following on to your last comment on the go-to-market, ha have most of those changes been put in place, I guess, to date? Obviously, sometimes it's difficult to do that as you're trying to close up a fiscal year, or 
you know, are you waiting to sort of instrument some changes, you know, perhaps on the direct side as we get into the beginning of next year? I was just trying to get a sense on if, if there's still some, I assume there's always going to be some tweaking, but, but have some of the more fundamental changes been established or is that something that, that you're still waiting on doing once you close out this fiscal year? We're not, we're not planning any, any broad uh, uh, efforts, uh, you know, rift type of structures along the lines of what we did uh, for the whole company. Um, last quarter. Um, we're going to continue to tweak. I mean, I think, you know, the market environment dynamic, we're going to continue to move resources around, as I alluded to, um, and uh, individual functions and departments in the go-to-market function and elsewhere. I think we'll, we'll see some, some prioritization or, or, or deprioritization, uh, but I'm not looking to, you know, to do anything um, uh, at, at the macro um, company-wide level. Um, we, I do expect that we will get significantly more productive and efficient uh, in our go-to-market motion, and that's a huge lever for us. Uh, in addition to the digital side, we've had a all-hands-on-deck effort to remove friction internally and to, uh, you know, just realign and combine functions. We were overly segmented, I believe, and so there was just a lot of work to uh, get our field operation uh, organization uh, in, in a better state. I think uh, Steve Shute our president feels that has done a very nice job pulling that together, bringing in senior leaders, and I think we're much better poised uh, to grow with the resources that we have um, uh, today than we were six months ago. Uh, and some of those initiatives that I alluded to on the self-service side will obviously bear more fruit uh, in the next few quarters. That's really helpful. And then, Cynthia, really quickly, you brought up, uh, obviously, in the cash flow discussion, the ERP implementation. Are there any other big systems that need to be sort of upgraded, given you guys have scaled so quickly, or, or is that sort of the, the biggest one that was that was outstanding? Just trying to get a sense if, if that's another area of you know, potential spend for you all next year. Yeah, I mean, we need to continue to invest in our systems and more automation. Um, but I would say ERP um, has been a uh, – a multi-year endeavor, um, you know, that started before uh, before I even joined the company. You know, so it's a big milestone um, for the company that will enable a lot of other automation to happen. Um, so we'll continue to invest there, but I wouldn't expect, you know, another uh, project as large as, as that project and, and cross-functional um, in the near term. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. I, just to add to that, I, I think – I don't think there's anything huge to talk about from an investment perspective, but just – for color, this company feels like it has one of every SaaS product that's been backed by the venture industry in the last 10 years internally. So we need to dramatically um, uh, clean that up and, and get to a, a much smaller number of anchor tools in addition to our ERP system. We, the other big focus this year has been on our Salesforce implementation, which obviously is a core platform. I think we're in, in much better shape now than we were at the beginning of the year. And there's a couple of other areas where I think we have uh, opportunity uh, to dramatically simplify and consolidate, and that'll help everyone become more productive. But it, it's not going to have, it's not going to be of a magnitude uh, that Cynthia uh, went through with with the ERP project. That's super helpful. Thank you all. And we have reached the end of the question and answer session. I'll now turn the call back over to Alan Peterson for closed remarks. Thank you. Well, thank you all for joining to hear more about where we're headed. Uh, I'm excited to be on this call with all of you and to be leading this incredible, iconic company. In closing, I think we believe we delivered a solid Q3 
and we're focused on delivering an exciting product roadmap and improving the efficiency of our go-to-market to drive growth and profitability. My first two months have affirmed DocuSign's tremendous headroom, strong customer relationships, and world-class talent. I'd like to thank our employees, our customers, and our partners for their warm welcome and the insights and dedication they've shared. I look forward to updating all of you as we make progress. Thank you for joining. And this concludes today's conference. Goodbye. Thank you and have a good day.